Here we are, right? Another virtual service. And it's time for us to dig deeper into the subject of the Word of God, the Bible. Now, we often study the Bible to see what the Bible has to say about this or that. However, we seldom pause long enough to actually talk about the Bible as an entity in and of itself, right? What does the Bible have to say about itself? And how do we think about the Bible? How do we, how do we read it? Why do we trust it as arguably the, the most important position in our lives, right? The, the position as guide and director of all the decisions that we make of our actions. It really is amazing when you think about it, but we, we rely on the Bible to guide us in virtually every aspect of our lives. To guide us in our morals, you know, how we treat one another and conduct ourselves on a daily basis with our fellow man. To, to guide us in our romances, right? Uh, who we marry, how we treat them, how we, how we relate to them. We look to the Bible to guide us with our families, how we raise the most precious possessions that we have in this world, our children. We use the Bible for so much. We've traveled together through life's rugged way, or land or, or water, by night or by day. To travel without it, I never would try. We keep close together, my Bible and I. In sorrow I've found it my comfort and joy. When weak, my strong tower, nothing can destroy. When death comes so near, I fear I may die. We still are together, my Bible and I. If powers of evil against me would come and threaten to rob me of heaven and home, God's word then directs me to him in the sky, and nothing can part us, my Bible and I. And when evil temptations are brought to my view, and I in my weakness don't know what to do, on Christ as my strength I am taught to rely. It is close to my heart, my Bible and I. And when life's path is ended, and if Jesus should come and take all his spirit-led family home, or if in long-suffering he waits till I die, we'll never be parted, my Bible and I. Well, there you have it. That was... Uh, I think the second poem I've ever actually done in a lesson in the 13 years I've, I've been here. I wish I could take credit for that one, but actually the author is unknown, which is probably a good thing because I took quite a few uh, editorial liberties with that, and I'm not going to have some angry poet coming after me for butchering their work. But this morning we're going to, to look at a couple of passages that talk about the Bible and that they offer really as proofs or evidences as to the validity of the effectiveness of the Bible. For the reality is, if the Bible is not effective in producing what God wants from His people, then why should we use it? Likewise, on the other side of the coin, if we don't trust in the Bible's effectiveness to bring about what we desire from it, well, then we won't employ it. Now, the passage we're going to start with is 2 Timothy chapter 3, Beginning in verse 10, going through verse 17, here Paul is going to propose two arguments for trusting the Scriptures to being effective in bringing about the righteous life that God desires. And I trust that we desire it too. So let's read this together. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, it says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance persecutions, sufferings, what, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, 
Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Even, even while evildoers and imposters are going to go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know from those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, from this passage, the first thing I really want to focus on and talk about is actually uh, verses 16 and 17. And the reason why I'm going to start with these two verses is that, well, they're the easiest for us to uh, understand and accept. So I want to kind of start with that. But also, because Paul here, he, he, he's outlining really the purpose of the Bible. The reason God determined to inspire Scripture, the, what we call the Bible, he chose that as a way to communicate to men and women across the ages and across the globe instead of just Oh, you know, popping it into everyone's head and everyone's heart, you know, on, on a one-on-one -on -one basis. See, Paul says the scriptures are useful. They're useful for training in righteousness so that the servant of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, it's also obvious from this passage that God's desire is that we be righteous. His desire is for righteousness. And that word righteousness in the in the Greek, dikaiosune. It means the character or quality of being right or just. It's used to denote the character or, or, or an attribute of God in Romans chapter 3 verse 5. And the context of that passage shows that the righteousness of God means essentially the same as his faithfulness or truthfulness, that which is consistent with his own nature and his own promises. You see, the scriptures are meant to help produce the character of God in us. If I want to be faithful, if I want to be trustworthy, if I want to be consistent with the nature of God, then I've got to go to the Bible because that's where I'm going to get it because that's what it's meant for. Like we've said several times, it, it's written to show me how to, number one, love God, and how to, number two, love people. Everything else hangs on, hinges on those two things. You know, the Bible's not meant to be a history book, so don't criticize it if it has historical holes or gaps in it. It's not meant to be a science book, so don't reject it because it doesn't have answers to all of your scientific problems. And as I've said before, it's not meant to be a rule book. So stop treating it like it's full of lists of things I can and can't do. It's purpose. The Bible's reason for existing is to make you as much like God as you can be in this life. And I can think of no greater ambition for any of us. But see, also now Paul offers proofs that the Bible is effective in producing these things in people. 
as effective as it can be while still working with imperfect humans, right? I mean, uh, you know, your work is only good as the materials you're, you're working with. So uh, he is working with us. So it's only going to have a limited amount of effect, but it is effective. Let's look at this passage again and look for these proofs. What is Paul offering as proof? Let's start in verse 10. He says, remember, he said, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions that I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. He says, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned because, and what you've learned and what you've become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it. And how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul, first of all, offers his own life and the lives of the, uh, of the people who are around Timothy, as examples, as evidence, as reason for Timothy to put his faith in the Scriptures. Paul says it's not only my teaching, but as he says, it's my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, my sufferings. And then Paul adds to that, he says, as for you, continue with what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know, you know those from whom you've learned it. Paul says, you know my life. You've seen the lives of the faithful disciples all around you. He's already reminded Timothy of the faith and the example of his mother and his grandmother. He did that back at the beginning of this letter in what we call chapter 1 verse 5. See, these people's lives, they validate the effectiveness of the message. He, he gives the effect of the Scriptures on his life and the life of Lois and Eunice as evidence that all Scripture is God-breathed and it is useful. And the implications for us today run very deep. Now, I'm only going to talk about two of them this morning. But the implications of this, number one is how we live, what we do. The example we set in our daily lives has tremendous effect on how other people view the Scriptures. And I'm not just talking about me as a minister or as Phyllis or Josh and Michelle as ministers. I'm not talking about the elders and their wives or the deacons, house church leaders. Bible class leaders, I don't know, worship team members, you know those public roles, those ones that are in front of people. I'm talking about all of us. From the ones who have been living the life of a disciple for 40 plus years down to Emily Mack, who was just baptized a few weeks ago on August the 1st. What we do matters. And people see it. And it doesn't matter if, if we want to be an example or not. We are an example. It doesn't matter if we want people to watch us or not. They do. And they make decisions about whether or not they can trust that the Scriptures are God-breathed or whether it's useful. They make those decisions based upon what they see in our lives. 
how they see the scriptures having effect on our lives. That's why in Corinthians, in the Corinthian letters, Paul calls us ambassadors. He calls us representatives. Now, guys, this is very, this is, this is incredibly powerful. We can win hearts, we can win lives, we can win souls to Jesus through the testimony of our changed lives, using changed lives to change lives. Now, I know some of you are thinking right now, though, but I'm not, I'm not perfect, right? I, I can't be an example. I don't want to be an example. People shouldn't look at me as an example. You know what? If you're not perfect, good, great, because you're not supposed to be perfect. But you know what we can be? We can all be an example of the transforming power of the Word of God and the refreshing power of humility, grace, and forgiveness. You see, trying to look perfect or trying to be seen as perfect, try, waiting until we're perfect and making everyone think we're, we're, we're perfect or some type of special human being, it actually kills the Scripture and the church's reputation. Let me explain. How many of us have heard or, or even maybe perhaps said ourselves, I don't need the church. That's full of hypocrites. I don't want to go there. Everybody there is a hypocrite. They think they're perfect. They think they're better than everybody else. You see, these type of accusations, they come when people see other people trying to look perfect, right? Trying to act like they're perfect when any yahoo with half a brain can see right through it. We have to understand we are living, breathing, walking, talking examples of the Scripture's effectiveness. And we need to strive to live lives to where we can walk up and say to anyone, much like what Paul was saying to Timothy, of course the Bible is God's Word. It's powerful and effective. Hey, you know about what I believe. You know how I live. You know my purpose, my, my faith, my patience, my love and endurance. Look, you know I'm not perfect. I'm not trying to be perfect, but what I'm trying to do is live by the Word of God, and the Word of God has helped me to become what I am today. And you know what? I think it can help you too. See, we can all say that message. We need to strive to live, live the lives that highlight and lift up the power and effectiveness of the Word of God. And implication number two of all of this is that we should, we should look, it's kind of like the other side of the coin. We should look at the outcome of others' lives when determining who we seek input, guidance, and help with the Scripture. You see, the Scriptures are, are effective. They're useful. And how they're seen in others' lives is also evidence of how they have followed themselves and allowed themselves to be led by the Scriptures. Look at this other passage. This is our second passage for this morning. It's in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, which says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now, he says, remember your leaders. It's not leaders like we think of in the church, leaders of the church or whatever. I mean, hopefully it would include those people. But when it gets right down to it, it's like those, those whom you look to to guide you, to give you advice, those you look to to lead you. He says, remember those people and consider. 
Look attentively. Observe their way of life. That, that term, their way of life, it actually comes from two Greek words, meaning literally the results of how they live. Not just where they are right now, but the results of their whole lifestyle. He says, find that person and imitate them. Now, imitate what? Imitate their faith. Now, remember, in the past lessons, we've defined biblical faith as more like allegiance, not just belief. It's not just belief, but it's belief that is so deep that you're willing to put your life in another's hands. So as I put my faith in Jesus, I give him my allegiance and put my life in his hands. And the Hebrew writer here says, mimic the lives of people who are doing this effectively. We're called here to imitate or to mimic the person whose life reflects the life you want, the faith you want. And if you want what they have, you got to do what they do. The challenge is, it's often just most natural to seek life input from, from friends, from contemporaries, from the people we're close to, the people that maybe we're related to, we feel comfortable with. The problem is, is they may not yet have the life experience, the scripture experience, the wisdom that is brought by trial and error, pain and suffering and endurance. And because of that, see, I can't consider the outcome of their way of life yet and to know what the effect the scripture has had on their lives because they don't have enough life with the scriptures to consider it yet. Now, the truth is we need friends, friends who support, and we certainly need support. We need friends who love up on us. We certainly not, we, we got to have friends who love up on us, friends who are loyal to us. Who doesn't want that, right? But they may not be the best person to imitate their faith, at least not yet, or at least not in all things. I've witnessed many groups of friends, both male and female, they get together, you know, they, they commiserate about how bad their lives are or how hard their life is. They, they listen to one another. They support one another. They're loyal to one another. They may even pray for one another. And we all need that. But nobody actually helped anyone become a better man or a better woman. Nobody could because they were all in the same boat. I remember when Phyllis and I first moved to Boston, our marriage and therefore our family was a mess. We were headed full steam ahead down a dead-end road. And we had many, many friends. We had people in our lives who knew what, what was going on. They would support us. They loved us. They cared about us. But because of their age and their lack of life experience, they had really they didn't have any outcome in their lives for us to consider. The scriptures had not yet been a part of their lives long enough for it to realize its full effectiveness. And it was not until we were paired up with Roger and Marsha Lamb, praise God, that we were able to help or actually get the help and the guidance that we needed. Because, you know, they had been through some incredibly challenging times and the effectiveness of the scriptures... The effectiveness of them using the scriptures in their life. The things that brought them through those challenges allowed them to guide us. And we soon learned that while our friends are a great 
support, while they were close, while they were encouragement, they lacked the life to consider. And we learned to get advice, and we learned to get advice and input from various sources, but we also learned the value of the advice that comes from those who are way ahead of us in whatever road we're on. We could look at their life and consider, how did they use the Scriptures? What was the effect? What, what, what was the outcome? What were the results of the decisions that they made? What was the effect of the Scriptures on their lives? And do I want that? Likewise, for some of our singles, including our teens in our campus, when you're, when you're seeking dating advice, I want to encourage you, consider who you ask and whose advice you give the most credence to. Now, certainly, you can get good input from a single person who's never been in a long-term dating relationship, but it's going to be limited, isn't it? Or perhaps getting dating advice from someone who's not a disciple, who's not guided by the Word or the righteousness that the Word is trying to lead you into. And again, you could get some good advice from that person, but will it lead you to a godly, righteous, and a fulfilling relationship? See, getting help and guidance, getting help and guidance in your marriage, same thing. For marriage help, Phyllis and I look to people who have marriages like the one we want. And as we move into the autumn of our lives, you know, we look at what do we want our relationship to be like? Well, we need to find someone who has what we want. And those are the people we go to. Those are the people we talk to. Those are the people we imitate. We look to grandparents who are grandparents like we want to be. And the same thing should go for parenting, for ministry, for anything, for being a man of God, for being a woman of God. Look to who do we respect? Who do we look up to? Who has the life that I'm willing to imitate because they've got the life I want? Paul told Timothy, look at my life. You know me, Timothy. You know what I teach and you know what I live. The Word of God is useful. It's effective. It's going to lead you to righteousness. And it's going to lead you to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God, the Scriptures, work. A hundred percent of the time, if you let it work in you. I pray that you let the, let the Word of God work in your life. I pray that you can be the example for everyone else of how effective the Word of God can be. And on your journey, I pray that you will seek help and advice and to, to imitate others who are living that example of how effective the Word of God to be. And then together, as this whole chain works together, we can all be a shining example of how powerful and effective the Holy Scriptures are. Those Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Scriptures that can bring about the holy and righteous life that God designed.